Winter is a season that I admit I kind of have mixed emotions about. On the one hand, I can go up and ski on weekends and maybe an occasional weekday and get in some good runs and go down the slope, something I've been doing for 50, 55 plus years. On the other hand, you know, walking around the city during winter, <laughs> it gets a little dreary and wet. And, you know, I keep dreaming of that that hot beach in Bali. Not that I've ever been there, but, you know, you dream about it. Hey, it's Tim Patterson. This is Trade Show Guy, Monday Morning Coffee. Uh, find us at Trade Show Guy Exhibits.com, also Trade Show Guy Blog.com, and the main site, kind of the hub, I guess, is Trade Show Guy. Dot net. You can find my two books there, my two trade show marketing books, along with uh, some free downloads and some videos and this and that and the other. It's all right there at tradeshowguy.net. You know, uh, I mentioned that the, uh, about the sunny beach just a moment ago, and frankly, it sounds nice, but you know, knowing me, if I got there, I'd get really bored and restless in like half an hour. <laughs> I'd want to do something. I, I, I don't know that I could actually sit on the beach for, for long Plus, I'd probably burn, you know, that's the way it goes. Hey, this week on the podcast slash video uh, blog, I've got a really cool interview with Michael F. Shine. Uh, I got a chance to talk to him. He's a marketer and an author. His new book is called um, The Hype Handbook, which is interesting. Uh, we'll talk about that. Also, his company, Microfame Media, which we'll talk about as well. Um, I hope you'll enjoy it. It's a fun interview. I had fun chatting with uh, Michael and meeting him. I want to welcome Michael F. Shine of My, uh, Microfame Media to Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. Michael, it's uh, great to, to have you. I appreciate you spending some time. It's great to be here. So I guess we'll start at the top. Tell me about Microfame Media and maybe a little sketch background of, of how you got to where you are. Sure. So the Cliff Notes version for anyone <laughs> who remembers those things. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're at the core a marketing company. So we tend to work with idea driven businesses. So consultants were a big part of what we did and still are. However, it's broadened out to any um, businesses selling ideas, not, uh, you know, ball bearings or sheet metal. Sure. And what we what we do is we help them become the most well-known figure in their niche. So that's why we're called micro fame media. It's, it's not really important in the digital era to become famous. If you want to drive customers and make money around your idea driven businesses, but you do have to become famous in a field or famous in a niche. And that's what we're very good at doing. As, so, so there's a narrow, yeah. a narrow cast, I guess, to a, yeah. it's very focused, yeah. but they, as long as you can make that person and their interesting ideas, um, notable in in the people are finding them it's really kind of connecting the two sides of it isn't it it, it is absolutely that's exactly right so you know uh things have changed a lot in the last 10 or 15 years i know um i was just kind of reading some stuff that i, I wrote I, I started a blog this blog that this is on is 12 years old and some of the stuff i wrote in the first couple of years had a lot to do with social media and and i've and i've stopped writing about that as focused as i was because things have changed so much yeah. um and i i don't spend as much time on social media i'm certainly still there i don't know how critical it is even these days i think it is important but there's a different there's got to be a different approach so how do you guys approach that aspect of it which has got to be a part of what you guys do it is or it can be i should it say it can be yeah right yeah i tend to approach marketing differently than a lot of other people. Um, 
if, if I had it my way, I wouldn't even say I ran a marketing agency. I would say <laughs> that I hype things up because that's what I like to call it. You know, I, I like to call it generating hype because the reason I, I do is that people will often come to me and they'll say things like, I need to get my social media going, or I need to get my podcasting going, or right. I need to get my A-B testing going. And, and while I don't usually say this to them right away, because I try to be polite, that's kind of like saying, I need to get my hammers, nails, and, and saws going instead of saying, I need a house. <laughs> so um, these are all tools, right? And, right. and I think, and, and I was guilty of this in the beginning. What we do is we look at the tools first a lot because we want to keep up with the proverbial digital marketing Joneses and not be left behind. But if you started instead with group psychology and human psychology, which is ancient, which never changes, and figure out where how you can fundamentally get people to go where you want them to go based on how people really act, not how we wish they did, then you can go out and find the technology, right? I mean, that the technology just makes it more efficient. So I, I think the question to be asking isn't, is it should I be on TikTok or Twitter? It's what do I want to do? What psychological principles can I use to accomplish that? And then let's find the right technology. And it becomes a lot easier that way. Right. And I think people get sucked into the, oh gosh, if we could just get a viral video, we'd get a lot of attention That's right. uh, and you'd be get written up and all that stuff. I mean, the one that comes to mind is the one that was a couple months ago, the guy uh, on his skateboard going down and he's, and he's got this drink in his hand and Fleetwood Mac uh, in his you know brain. And that, everyone wrote about that because it was just an interesting viral thing which is fascinating in and of itself, but you can't create that on the fly. You can't even plan to create it. It just happens. And there's no way of telling how to make it happen. You just can't make it happen. I know one guy, this guy, James Persolet, who's a, who's a marketing genius and just sort of a media genius who who actually can make a viral video happen. (laughs) He has this weird, yeah, there's gotta be some people. Yeah. He's though he, I've been in this industry for a while and I know a lot of the big players in this industry and this is like the only guy who I know, but his budgets are like a million dollars. It's like creating a little motion picture. I guess the question is, do you really want to take that approach to business and to making a living? This idea about, I just hope that people will discover my thing. It's kind of like being in a band and playing in bars and just hoping every night that you're going to, that, that, that you know, Mr. Big is going to walk through the door from his limousine and discover you. I just don't think that works for music. And I don't think that works for business. It can, but who wants to live that way? I I think it's better to slowly, but surely generate excitement and attention based on more fundamental principles. I think it's right. And, and I, you know, I, I, I will bring up the name Seth Godin because he's uh, his, I think his overall principle that I hit, uh, get from listening to him a lot is that, you know, the old world was you wanted someone to pick you. And that's kind of what a lot of people are still doing. But now it's like, all you need to do is find the smallest viable audience of people that really want what you do. And I think that's, I get a sense that's that's how you're doing it. Uh, At least you're, you're, you're on that same path. It sounds like. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a hundred percent right. Yeah. Uh, I want to bring up your book. You sent me uh, uh, the galleys, I guess. Is that what they call it? The galleys? Yeah, that's what they call it. Uh, Is the book out yet? First of all, uh, the book is called uh, The Hype Handbook. Right. I don't know when this is going live, but it came out as of this recording two days ago. It was an exciting day. 
Oh, really? So, well, this yeah. will be on in two more days. So as of this, uh, the launch of this particular re uh, recording online, it'll be as of four days ago. So tell me how, how the book come about. See, I know this is one of the shorter podcasts, so I'm trying to figure out how to give the Cliff Notes <laughs> version of this story. Um, uh, we we so, have no time limit, so whatever yeah. uh, you know, whatever makes sense to talk about. I guess. I mean, but it's always good to be more concise. I can talk a lot. I know that. So, you know, <laughs> I, the, the, the long story short is that I never wanted to own a marketing agency or any kind of business. I wanted to write. And, and uh, that used to be fiction. That used to be songs. And I got into the corporate world just by accident, started to do well there, but was eventually miserable. And I left. And the way I was going to try to salvage my soul while still making a living was I had uh, learned about content writing. You know, they called it demand generation writing, this kind of writing that I wanted to do and did do white papers, case studies, things that, you know, lead magnets and things like that. Yeah. And I was a good writer and I'm a good writer. And I, I, there are many things I'm very bad at, but I've gotten positive affirmation on that since I was a kid. <laughs> and so I figured that because of that, I'm good. So people would hire me and that would be the end of the story. And that didn't happen. I, I had a year's worth of savings and I burned through almost all of it. And it was terrifying. And um, I had read every traditional sales and marketing book, and most of them were exactly what you're talking about. I remember one was like how to make money on Google Plus, because that was supposed to be the same. That was a big thing for like 10 minutes. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, those were the kind of books, A-B testing. And I wasn't, I was reading them and I'd get all excited about each one and then make not an extra penny. So I guess what happened was based on the stuff I used to be interested, I, I, I was, a, I was a pretty good marketer when I was young without knowing it. I used to play in punk bands and things, and we would kind of compensate for musical ability by, by drumming up attention. Like I would dress like a nun, and I, I got us on Showtime at the Apollo because I knew we would be booed <laughs> off. And we used to get attention. We would sell out clubs. You know, we got on the cover of New York Press. I didn't become a rock star, but it was farther than certainly my parents right. thought I would go with right. it, you know? So at just at wit's end, I said, you know, why don't I study the people who are really the good marketers, you know, the rock band managers before it became big business and it was more of like an outlaw thing. What about propaganda artists? What about cult leaders? What about pranksters? And I said, you know, there's one of two options. Either these tactics are extremely immoral. And in that case, I want nothing to do with it. I didn't lose my leave my job to become a con artist. But the other option is that maybe the, the, the strategies and tactics themselves are amoral. It's just a function of how human beings respond, but that more respectable types are a little more afraid to use them. And I started studying these kind of people and seeing if I could reapply their strategies ethically. And it turns out I was, my hypothesis was right. I mean, the, the, the strategies are just functions of, of psychology, especially group right. psychology. Um, a lot of more respectable people are afraid to use them or, or, or find it distasteful, but it can be used in a very ethical and even a tasteful way. And I started to do that and it worked. I built a business. I mean, I, my writing business started to do well. And in fact, it, it worked so well that people started wanting me to market their stuff to do for <laughs> them what I had done for myself. And I, I now own a marketing agency. So I just, you know, it bothered me that so many of the bad guys come to this stuff so naturally so I wanted to create a handbook for the good guys that gave them this 
superpower. So that's well, I, I scanned. Did. You sent me a, a PDF of the galleys, and I scanned a, a lot of it. I didn't haven't read the whole thing yet, but the, there was a couple. There was a story that kind of jumped out at me that I, I wanted to bring up, and, and maybe have you yeah. tell it. It's the Alice Cooper story when uh, really no one knew who Alice Cooper was. I remember seeing Alice in uh, I don't want to say 72, 73 when the big billion dollar babies tour with oh, yeah. uh, the dolls and the guillotine and all that stuff. But that must have this been story fun. that uh, yeah it was a lot of fun. It was <laughs> great. Um, <laughs> I was maybe 17 at the time, uh, drove like 120 miles to go see him. Like I must have really been a big Alice Cooper fan at the time or something. Yeah. But so tell me that story and what it what it means to you, how it caught your your eyes. Well, so that, so at the time of the story I was telling, they were they were relatively big in the United States, but not in England. Right. They ultimately became one of the UK's biggest acts. But at this time, you know, they had gotten big in the in the U.S. by doing exactly what you said. You know, at the time, the idea of shock rock was non-existent. They it was a invented, spectacle. Yeah, they yeah. put on a spectacle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, since then, we've had Kiss. We've had Marilyn Manson. We've had Slipknot. A lot of people have copied the template that Alice Cooper put out there. But at the time they were playing, it was like hippies in blue jeans. Right. And they did guillotines <laughs> and blood and singing about all the, kinds the crazy. She got was probably Elton John and shoes this tall, you know? Right? Yeah. And, yeah. It, it, exactly. Big right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, their manager, uh, Shep Gordon, you know, they, they, they got a gig at Wembley arena, which is very large in England. And like two or three weeks before the show, they had only sold 500 tickets. So that would have been a fiasco, a financial disaster, a public relations disaster. It just was not catching on in the UK. So their manager, who is a very rebellious and mischievous and creative guy, commissioned a billboard. Uh, well, he, he, he had a photo taken of Alice Cooper, the singer, it was, the band was called Alice Cooper at the time. But the singer was um, photographed naked, all but a boa constrictor across his private parts. And they blew up the photograph to the size of a billboard and mounted it to the back of a truck. And the manager paid for the truck to accidentally, quote unquote, break down in Piccadilly <laughs> Circus at rush hour, which is like Times Square. So it's the busiest area in London. So, you know, all of respectable London was confronted by this lovely picture. You know, if you've ever seen Atlas Cooper, you can imagine what that site was like. And it, I mean, there were news helicopters. I mean, the parliamentary uh, ministers were debating it, that they should throw them out of the country. And they sold out Wembley Arena, you know, um, by that night. So, so why do I bring this up? Is it because I think that you you know, trade show and conference professionals should get naked and, and be on a billboard. I do not. And I do not recommend that. But but there's a psychological dynamic at play here that anyone can learn from. So Chef Gordon's idea was that, especially in the early 70s, anything that parents hated, kids would love. Because this was at the height of the generation gap. Actually, it's oh, funny. Yeah. Now, now you see parents and kids listening to the same music. But at that time, that was unheard of. I mean, there was a real generation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so anything that so so his whole thing was he didn't want to get Alice Cooper on the cover of Rolling Stone. He wanted to get them on the cover of Newsweek for being a public public nuisance, because then parents would get aggravated and that would make kids love them. So the idea here is that human beings and, and we could go on forever about why this is, were much more attracted to at, at 
adversarial dynamics than we are attracted to positive dynamics. So we bond on an actual well, chemical level, like oxytocin bonds us to people that we perceive to be like us and makes us dislike people we perceive to be not like us. So bonding actually comes as a result from antagonism with other groups. So that's been used for some pretty horrible things over history. You right? could probably I mean, point to today's politics and, and just and yeah. plop that description down amongst some of that. Yeah. Not a question. But for a more uh, ethically minded individual, you can use these dynamics. So pick a fight with an idea. So is there a point of view that's commonly referred to in your industry that's outmoded, that's out of date, but that people just keep following? take a very bold stand against that idea. You don't have to insult the practitioners, but stand directly against that and just keep repeating that over and over. You will be surprised how many people have been thinking the same thing. But if you can create a tribe and make yourself the leader around that adversarial idea, it's just you will be surprised how quickly your star will soar in your yeah, industry. Well, well, that the the Alice Cooper story fascinates me for a couple of things. Number one, I've never heard that story before, so that was kind of cool. So yeah. fresh material. You see, you, you see books where you hear the same stories over and over. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but the adversarial dynamics that you bring up, the way the psychology works on it. Uh, is also giving me something to ponder and it sh should get a lot of people something to ponder. And I kind of scanned through, there was another one, Bertolt Brecht, um, yeah, you yeah. know, going way back. Uh, and so I, the, this, the book is populated with those types of stories, which illustrate, and, and as, as, as a writer as well, you know, that stories uh, are very important to, to getting a message along. So um, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the whole thing. I, that should be a lot of fun. Um, let's talk about content online a little bit. Um, the internet is swimming in content. There's so much there. Is this the kind of the dynamic that you think that people need to look at from that perspective so they can get some attention because there's so much out there that is vying for attention? Yeah. I mean, I think content is certainly important, right? I mean, the internet runs on words, images, and sounds, uh, especially words still. I mean, everyone talks about how people don't read, but I would say, People read thousands of words a day. They just don't think of it as sitting down and reading. You know, <laughs> yeah. Google still, the search engine still runs on keywords and semantic search. I mean, it, it, the words are still important. But yeah, video is also important or can be. It doesn't have to be. A podcast can be useful. Content is, is a big thing on, on the internet. However, if you just create a piece of content put it out into the world and hope people find it. That's like throwing a cork, a bottle with a message into the Pacific ocean. I actually, I was watching that new show. Um, you know, that, that show that's on now Cobra Kai, it's like a sequel to yes, the I'm familiar uh, Karate with it. Kid. So I, the, one of the later seasons, Johnny, who was the bully in the old movies, but they've rounded out. He's stuck in the eighties because that was glory day. And he decides he's going to put his dojo, you know, get more sophisticated. So he says to his teenage, you know, students, he, he created a thing. He goes, send it to the internet. And that's the joke, right? You send it to the internet. But that's how a lot of us behave. We, we create a blog or a podcast or whatever. We just like send it to the internet and we get confused that people aren't finding it, right? What I would say is it's important to first figure out what's your corner of the internet. It's funny, even though the internet is as close to infinite as anything human beings have ever created, when you find out your little niche or sub industry world, there's usually between 
I don't know, 15 and, and 50 players who have all the influence, bloggers, podcasters, video makers. And it's much easier to meet those people and get them to share your stuff than it is to meet Oprah and, and Dan Rather. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, so, and you don't need Oprah anyway, because yeah. most people that she has probably aren't interested in what you're doing anyway. Right. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But in the past, that was all you had. I know. So it is a different world. Michael, it's been great to, to catch up with you. Michael F. Shine uh, of Microfame Media. The book is um, The Hype Handbook. So tell me where to find the book and how to find you online. Well, so it's in all of the usual spots online, like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Dot com. It, it should be in Barnes and Noble, uh, old old school, <laughs> the the brick and mortar. But no one's going to those right now. <laughs> We're Not all too a little bit scared. So, yeah. Um, as for me, you know, the the website is microfamemedia.com. I'm at Michael F. Shine, S C H E I N dot com. And also one other thing, something I do that I have a lot of fun with, and and peop, other people tend to seem to as well. I, I have always done a lot of research for about hype and all of these psychological principles by reading some weird and interesting books, biographies (laughs) of these very colorful characters, odd crowd psychology books. So every so often I send out recommendations of these books and people have just grown to love it. We call it the hype book club. People even, we write back and forth with each other. So that's at hypereads.com. So if, uh, if you're interested in books that aren't seven habits of highly effective people. That's uh, that's very all. good. Well, well, we'll put some links in the show notes, Michael. Uh, thanks again. I appreciate your time. It was a pleasure. Thanks again to Michael F. Shine of Micro Fame Media and his new book, The Hype Handbook. Check it out. You'll find links in the show notes at tradeshowguyblog.com. This week's one good thing is this kind of a cool thing I got called Quartet. It's, <laughs> I'll show you some pictures as well, but it's, um, I guess what you call a, a glass dry erase board that uh, is kind of angled, sits in between my keyboard and the computer screen where I can write notes on the fly, which, you know, you're always looking for a, a, a scratch of paper, right? Uh, but this, it's all right there. You got the pen, everything. It's really cool. You got several different colors. I'm kind of giving them a free plug, but I really like it. So uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for that uh, little thing called Quartet. Have a great week. Let's do this again in seven days as we get closer to closing out January 2021.